Welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. No. <laughs> Stop that. Hello, I'm the other host, Jane. I, this is Jane. She has a certain favorite Animal Crossing character. <laughs> and you can find this out by searching her internet history. I, I, am, I am behind private browsers and vpns you will never find out what i'm looking at i think it's kind of obvious uh, okay yeah that's fair i did just expose myself <laughs> well, that's that's the one joke you're allowed <laughs> you, you did you say your name you didn't say your name did i you? did i did okay i guess i ignored but it you said it back to me oh, okay hi jane <laughs> hello and we're your favorite podcast, all about the funny books of Rick Riordan. Today we're starting the Kane Chronicles, a new series. Yay, yay, yay. Hey. We're starting with the first book, of course, The Red Pyramid. Jane? Hello. Do you have any history with the series at all? Absolutely none. Didn't even know it existed before we started this podcast. I know I said that I hadn't read the Percy Jackson books before we started the last lot, and by the end it turned out I had. But this time, I'm positive. I swear, I've never touched these before. Hell yeah. Exciting. <laughs> what about you? What's what's your history with this series? Uh, I'm pretty sure I read all of it in middle school, maybe early high school. Ooh, interesting. I don't remember. I don't remember all of it, but I remember a, a good few key details. And I remember liking it quite a bit. I'm glad. I, I want Before we get into the book today, we do have some news. Mm-hmm. This is a, a, a thing. There have been a few updates recently about, um, whatchamacallit, the Percy Jackson TV show. Ooh, yeah. Uh, one of them is uh, that they're working back on casting. That's kind of boring. But they also uh, got the, a director for the pilot. Ooh, nice. Who they get? Uh, James Bobin, the director of Dora the Explorer... Dora and the Lost City of Gold. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> the Riordans really liked that movie for their kids, apparently. I, really? I guess they were like, this is a good adaptation of a book, of a series that our kids liked. I mean, I guess that makes sense. I guess so. Personally, I think they should have gotten the Sea of Monsters guy back. Fucking Thor Freudenthal, now that he's better. Yeah, well, uh, clearly he works better on TV. I guess so. Oh, he also directed uh, The Muppets 2011 and Muppets Most Wanted 2014. I, I haven't seen those, but I have to assume that they are somewhat charming romps because it's The Muppets. That's true. Oh, and Alice Through the Looking Glass from oh, 2016. Jesus, never mind. <laughs> oh, God, okay. Rick, what are you doing? Uh, but uh, the, the last thing was that apparently it was announced that they'll be filming it a special way. Have you heard of the TV show The Mandalorian? Oh Jesus Christ! What? They're, are they filming it on the uh, in the what's it called the volume? That's exactly right. The big mother, the fucking green screen. No, no. <laughs> oh God, I don't know what this is. Can you explain it to me? It's basically just like a giant, really high quality screen. And what they do is they like they build the sets in the room, like in front of the screen. Uh huh. And that—that's it. That's just—it's like just really advanced green screen. Well, Which, like, you know, I'm looking forward to there being no natural environments in this. That's fine for if you want to do a Star Wars. Like I understand that because you're doing like all these fantastical locations. But like, for the for three books solid, Percy Jackson is a fucking road trip series. I feel yeah. like you kind of need to shoot on location for that. I. I think so. I hope so. I hope they do some shooting on location. The problem is that Rick Riordan is kind of a nerd. That's, and yeah, that's true. I'm going to quote uh, Rick Riordan here. Possibly the coolest thing we did this week was visit Industrial Light and Magic's volume stage, where Star Wars TV shows like The Mandalorian are filmed. The trip was just to see how the technology works and what it can make possible for a show like Percy Jackson. To be clear, this is not where we'll be filming, but the hope is that when we do oh. film, 
we'll be able to use a similar process and learn from ILM's cutting-edge expertise. Shit. Uh, further, the Mandalorian tech, as Ryden explained, puts you in the middle of a 360-degree virtual environment. They even plopped us in the middle of deep space at one point. Let me punch the button, enter hyperspace. Suddenly, we were doing the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs. The effects are so real, we were warned to be careful if we had motion sickness, and they weren't lying. Okay, yeah, he does just sound like a huge dweeb. Yeah, like I, I guess I can't blame him. That does sound like it would be cool if you're really into Star Wars. Yeah, that's true. You know what? You know what this is. What they're gonna use it one time for the like the VR games in the Lotus Hotel and Casino. That'd be pretty fun. That would be. Oh, this this validates our theory. The uh, Nancy Boba Fett. Holy shit! <laughs> the book of <laughs> Nancy Boba Fett her. coming d- December twenty twenty one. Oh god, her fucking origin story. <laughs> it turns out that she's actually a descendant of like Celtic gods. Oh. And, oh god. Okay. We can't. We can't get into this. We're gonna. I'm gonna summarize to you the first four chapters of the Red Pyramid. Please do. Uh, and I think pretty soon you all will understand what the series deal is. I won't. Okay. <laughs> Chapter 1. Carter. A Death at the Needle. Carter Kane is the 14-year-old son of prolific Egyptologist Dr. Julius Kane, globetrotting and living suitcase to suitcase his whole life. On Christmas Eve, they go to London to visit Carter's sister Sadie, who's lived with her maternal grandparents, the Fausts, since her mom Ruby's death. Julius is pretty nervous on the way, and it makes Carter think about all the times they've miraculously survived dangerous incidents. When they arrive at the Faust home, there's a mysterious man in a trench coat across the street, and Julius crosses to confront him while Carter goes to greet Sadie, who answers the door carrying her cat, Muffin. Sadie is 12 and has a big attitude, and she immediately leads Carter across the street to spy on their dad's conversation. Apparently, the trench coat guy's name is Amos, and he's warning Julius that the per onk is shadowing him, but Julius says he's arranged to protect the children. The conversation almost spirals into a duel, but Sadie interrupts. Amos leaves, and the family head out for a private tour of the British Museum, but on the way there, Julius has the cab stop at Cleopatra's Needle. He says it's the last place he saw their mom. He then asks Sadie if she still has the gifts he gave her, her cat, and an amulet which matches the one Carter has. She does, of course. When he's just about to tell the kids about what happened the night their mom died, there's a flash of thunder, and Carter briefly sees two figures watching them from nearby. Julius then ushers them back into the cab, and when they get to the museum, before entering the gates, Julius tosses some strange stones into the back seat and tells the cabbie to keep going. When Carter looks back, it seems a new, identical family has taken their place in the back seat. Chapter 2. Carter. An Explosion for Christmas. Inside the museum, the curator, Dr. Martin, leads them to the Rosetta Stone, their most famous artifact, which Julius wants to inspect. When the curator removes the glass for Julius to inspect and walks away, Dr. Kane tells the kids to say out and go lock Dr. Martin in his office. This is their only chance to make everything better, he says. They go and chain the door, but after the ground starts shaking, they run back to the Egyptian gallery and see their dad doing some sort of ritual and carving glowing hieroglyphs into the Rosetta Stone. Sadie translates them somehow and realizes he's trying to summon Osiris, the Egyptian god of the dead. She yells at him to stop, but when he turns around, the stone explodes. When Carter comes to, the gallery is in ruins, and a fiery, ephemeral man is standing between them and Julius. This is not Osiris, but an uninvited guest from the Duat who is too powerful to be sent back, who was released along with four others. He declares he will soon be king again, and after muttering about the impending demon days, Julius says that the house will stop him, but the fiery man just laughs the idea off. He's not afraid of them, whoever they are. The fiery man says, Goodbye, Osiris, then conjures a glowing coffin that locks around Julius and descends into the ground. Sadie, enraged, throws a rock at the fiery man, but it goes right through him, and when he turns around, Carter sees that he seems to have two faces at once, one human and one unsettlingly and indistinctly animal. As the security guards finally begin to near, he lunges at the kids, but is shoved back by some power from their amulets. 
This seems to stir some recognition within him, but just then, the wall across from them explodes, and the man and girl Carter saw briefly at Cleopatra's needle swoop in wielding staves, and the fiery man explodes away in a burst of flame. The oxygen is pulled from Carter's lungs, and the last thing he sees as he falls unconscious is the girl standing over him with a knife, saying they must act quickly, and the man, who has a French accent, saying they cannot destroy them. Yet. Chapter 3. Sadie imprisoned with my cat. When Sadie wakes up, she's separated from Carter and locked in the curator's office, left wondering how exactly she was able to translate hieroglyphics, until she's ushered home to her grandparents where she's then locked in her room. While waiting for the inspector to interview her, she fiddles with her amulet. It has an angelish symbol on it, different from Carter's, which has an eye of Horus, a symbol of protection. We learn that she feels like her dad abandoned her. Apparently, the amulet and muffin were the only gifts he ever gave her. While looking at a picture of her mom, who's wearing a shirt with an ankh on it, a symbol of life, she connects that to the pear ankh that Amos mentioned, and is about to see if she can by instinct translate that when the inspector finally arrives. He questions her, and she tells him everything, but it looks like the police already have a story. They think Julius, distraught after the death of his wife, was recruited into an Egyptian terrorist group and purposefully bombed the British Museum. He wants names from Sadie of these supposed associates, but Sadie is distracted when she sees Amos standing outside of her window. The inspector continues on, pretty sure that while she must be innocent, Carter's got to be part of it. The underlying element to this is that while Julius and Carter are very visibly black, Sadie looks more like her mom, who's white. She decides to throw out Amos's name, but the inspector seems to be convinced that Amos is in New York, and when Sadie looks out the window again, sure enough, he's gone. He tries to convince her Carter admitted everything, but Sadie isn't buying it, so the inspector says it's time to go downstairs and discuss consequences. Chapter 4. Sadie. Kidnapped by a not-so-stranger. Down in the living room, the inspector is threatening the kids with charges in front of the grandparents when he suddenly becomes dazed and gives Carter an American passport, saying that he and Sadie both are being deported and must leave immediately. When he leaves, Amos comes to the door and makes himself at home, to the Faust consternation. They seem to have some pre-existing bad relationship with him, but he manages to convince them that now that he's messed with the inspector's mind, the siblings should come with him to the family mansion in Brooklyn. Carter is skeptical of how they get there, so Amos draws some hieroglyphs that Sadie recognizes as meaning boat, and when he opens the front door, an Egyptian reed boat is standing on the river. Apparently it'll get him there. Fast. He also says to bring Muffin, and the cat races down and jumps into his arms. The kids are still unsure, not even knowing who this guy is, but he tells them he's not a stranger. He's family. Sadie has memory of being younger, and him looking down at her and saying, Happy birthday, and she realizes who he is. Their uncle, Amos Kane. So, Jane. Hello. What did you think of the opening chapters of The Red Pyramid? These are pretty messy, I think. Oh? Yeah, I... In, in a deliberate way, they feel quite rushed. Like, a lot is happening, a lot of information is being thrown at the reader. We're not getting a lot of time to, like, sit and process anything. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also, I think, just as an overall thing, not really sure about the framing device. Oh, uh, because this whole thing is framed around it being, like the two kids are talking into like a recorder and this is being like transcribed from their recording mm -hmm. yeah i'm not sure i i like that so far oh yeah you don't like the like back and forth they have though those are kind of they're okay but it feels i don't know there's a dissonance between like this is two kids panicking in a room trying to get through a story that they're trying to tell you as quickly as possible and also the, like, passages of just descriptive prose we get. Oh, okay, I see what you mean. Like, that just feels weird. What What did you think of these? I'm curious. Uh, I quite like them. Good. I, I think that they were messy, for sure. Um, but I, I, I still think they communicated a, a new and interesting story. I think that it's setting up something pretty cool, I'm hoping. Yeah, for sure. Like... There's definitely some hints at some stuff in here that I find really cool. Yeah. Like, um, the way that the magic seems like it's going to be working is mostly based around, like, like drawing hieroglyphs 
and using artifacts kind of like gadgets, like with the rocks that are put in the car that just look like people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's that's really interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what gets done with that. The, the, the like, Moses staff that he throws at the yeah. summoned guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I mean... I agree. I like the magic stuff. It's it's very reminiscent of like how Egyptian magic is actually described in some ways. Ooh, okay. Um, because uh, it's it's very like based around just like words and communication. Um, so I think like the emphasis on like drawing hieroglyphics, like I think that's that's you know like a, a solid way of communicating that. Yeah, that makes sense. I think one thing that I immediately appreciate is how like Carter isn't just Percy again. Oh, that, what, Rick setting his story out very early that this is a completely different character. Yeah, uh, in fact, he signals that really easily uh, because uh, he's contrasted against Percy by establishing that Carter is not, in fact, Balin. Huh? He says that he does not like basketball and that he hates when his oh, dad tries I see. to get him to play. <laughs> Unlike Percy, who loves basketball. Oh, shit, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> One of Percy's most well-known character traits, his love of skateboarding and basketball. That's exactly right. <laughs> but yeah, I, one of the like, one of the things that does come through in like the rush that these chapters have, is the like very strong sense of the dynamic that Carter and Sadie are going to have going forward, which is that, you know, Carter is like he's more passive, he's a bit of a dweeb, but he kind of he knows his stuff about Egyptian mythology. While Sadie is more of the one who, like, is aggressive and takes action where Carter might hesitate. Yeah, she's, like, the the free spirit a little bit. Like, she goes mm-hmm. by instinct. Carter is more of, like, an intellectual, I guess. Yeah, I can definitely see how, like, these two are going to complement each other. If, if this is, like, the main duo we have for the series. And I could see how someone could be like, well, that's just Annabeth and Percy again. <laughs> but I, I think the dynamic is sufficiently different. I think so, yeah. And also adding to that is that, like, there are elements of... Okay, well, let's talk about... So in Percy Jackson and the Olympians, yeah. we talk a few times throughout about how, like, most of the main characters, maybe even all of the main characters are white. Yeah. And that's, like... That's, like, a really common thing oftentimes. It's, it's kind of egregious. It's very much like uh, white as a default setting. Like when char- when characters like Beck and Dorf show up, it's specifically commented on. Yeah, um, and like, and even by the end of the series, a lot of the major characters who have died. There's Beck and Dorf. There's Ethan Nakamura. Mm, yeah, like, uh, like it's it's a lot of a lot of people of color dying. Yeah, uh, and I I think this is like a little bit of an attempt to like take a better handle on race yeah i i think that is what's happening here i think specifically because we see like the fact that carter and sadie do not have the same skin tone like sadie has much lighter skin yeah and the fact that we're not shying away from the fact that like when when they're introduced to people as siblings there is that moment of like weird internalized wait that's not right that they have yeah yeah, and the inspector is like, oh, you you think of him as your actual brother or whatever the fuck he mm-hmm, says. Yeah. As if he's not literally her biological brother. Yeah, this isn't even like a half-brother or step-sibling situation. They are just like straight up brother and sister. Yeah, exactly. And like, there's a thing early on when Carter is like, well, my grandparents fought really hard to get Sadie, but they didn't care about me. And I, I wonder why. It's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. They are just like old racist British people. That's, yeah, that's, I think, a very. We don't get any explicit confirmation of that, but I think that's a very possible read of it. Yeah, like, it could be shown later on that it's like, oh, actually, they could only take one because yada, yada, yada. Um, I, think, I think the reason we get is that, like, and I guess this is slightly tied into it, is that Carter reminds them more of Julius. Yeah, because exactly. Because obviously he looks Which, more like him. Yeah. Which, it's tied into that, but it's not the same reason. Yeah, it's it's they're like interwoven reasons, I would say. Which probably which probably also like at this point because this is probably going to come up a lot. And yeah, take probably. this moment to clarify something that we've never mentioned on the podcast before is that we're a pair of white people. 
That's true. You can see this in the you can see this in our cover art. Yeah. Uh, gracefully edited uh, for the season by Jane. <laughs> Thank you. The the base uh, and largest portion of it's still, of course, done by Vera. Check out Vera's art. Absolutely. At Ensmith in on Twitter. That's right. Um, uh, and so that's true. We'll be doing our best. We don't want to like ig- the problem is we don't want to like ignore those elements. No, they are being like very, very purposefully put at the forefront by by Rick. Yeah, but we also want to like I don't know. If you, listeners keep in mind where we're coming from. Yeah. Uh, we uh, if if you're like, hey, I don't think that that's that reading is you know maybe you're coming from a different place and you don't like are not reading this correctly or you think like maybe. I don't know, anything like that. Uh, feel free to send us an email, a DM, what have you. Yeah, if we're fucking up, don't hesitate to tell us. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm really like, I'm really into these characters so far. Yeah, definitely. I know that you said you had like, you didn't say this, but you were, you sent me a, a funny meme <laughs> yeah. about, about Julius. About Julius, yeah, the dad of, of these two kids, where it's him every second line of dialogue and it's a dalek saying we will explain later because that is most of what he says in these chapters and i think it's one thing that feels very frustrating Uh, i get what you mean i i kind of disagree Uh uh-huh i i think it's almost what you're saying but subtly different in a way that matters um which is that i i think that like he's like not even saying that he'll explain later like I think a lot of this is just him ignoring the idea of like explaining things to them. I think he does say like after Cleopatra's needle, I'll talk, I'll explain everything after we've we're done at the museum. That's that's true, <laughs> but like I think by and large his attitude is one of like I'm going to do shit and like you don't need to know about it largely. Mm-hmm. And I I think that's like an interesting bit of characterization for Julius, who seems like a decent dad. Um, but like maybe gets like way too caught up in his own like grand grand shit all the time that's true i feel like i feel like julius's characterization is a bit wonky yeah because we like we get a line from carter at the start that's like oh my dad's usually a really confident guy but today he's like he's freaking out and he's really nervous Uh uh-huh but like you know it's tell don't show show don't tell etc like we never actually see confident julius so the effect of him being nervous is kind of lost on us yeah yeah i see what you mean he's confident i guess in the confrontation with amos that's true so i think there's a little like i i get what you mean i think you're like right (laughs) i do think that there's like a point to which it's like well here's where we're starting the story you know what i mean yeah, no, it's it's definitely a symptom of like, you know, we have to just get some get some shit established, get some stuff down on the page for the reader to grab onto. Yeah. There's a there's like a lot of like signaling of like secret organizations and stuff here. Yeah, it's doing I guess what one argument against what I'm saying about it being frustrating is that we're getting a very different kind of like introduction to the world than we got in something like Percy Jackson. Yeah. Because in that we get like we get this slow drip feed of information which slowly contextualizes what's going on across the course of the first couple of chapters. Whereas in this in this book, it's very clear that something is going on. And it's like there are clearly rules that are governing it governing it that have been mapped out already. It's just that we the characters don't know it and so we don't know what the rules are. So I it, it could be quite satisfying when it goes back and explains that later, but for now I find it kind of frustrating. Yeah, that makes sense. Possibly a symptom of just how we we do these chapters. That's also true. I I do think that like this is yeah like you're right. This is very different from like how the lightning thief does it. Like Percy is caught up in like like he knows there's some serious shit wrong, but he like doesn't understand any of it. Like, I, but it's like constantly going on around him, and it's like kind of like like almost like scary. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely horror vibes, especially in, like, the Minotaur fight. Yeah, and, like, him, like, walking around the halls of his school and, like, like overhearing his best friend and his teacher, like, whispering about him yeah. and stuff. Um, this is different um, insofar as, like, I think it's almost, like, a more traditional, like, kids' adventure story. Yeah, I can see that. 
which Percy Jackson is also pretty traditional, but I think the like the framing of it is a little bit different. And yeah, I get what you mean. Uh, can I ask you a question? Yes. Uh, Jane, you're. I- I'm sorry if I I you're British, right? Uh, yes, exactly. It's true. Uh, what do you this this story uh finally moves out of the Americana, um, and into the uh Britannica. <laughs> We're we're in Britannia. Uh, what do you? That's right. Lelouch is there. He's waving a wand around. <laughs> um, what do you think of? I don't know. The, what do you think of the British stuff? I mean, it's it's fine. None of it has come up in a way that sounds weird. But uh-huh. there is just something like inherently slightly cursed about like an author who I read. I've read five of his books written in a completely American dialect. And yeah. then hearing him call an apartment a flat, just, that fucks me up. That's, fucking... that's like, forbidden knowledge. <laughs> Sadie, Sadie opening up her chapter with, hello. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's funny. It's I I do appreciate, like, this is obviously, like, I don't know. It's, it's fun getting to see different places. And, like, obviously, if you're telling a story about, like, Egyptian mythology and you're not in Egypt, probably the other place that you're going to want to be is London. Yeah, the place where all the shit that got stolen from Egypt ended up. Yeah, which is an interesting dynamic here. Mm-hmm. Because, w- w- like, they go to the British Museum, and they, they see all the stolen artifacts. Uh-huh. And there's kind of, like, the idea that, like, oh, Julius, he was the the egyptian terrorist groups didn't like that we had these so we had he he they had him bomb it or whatever you'd probably you'd probably steal it right not not bomb them yeah i i don't see why he i think that's one <laughs> of those like i think the police are a cab and all uh yeah I, like uh, i can't tell how much of that is just like an explanation for what happened and how much of it might be rick making like a deliberate comment on like Oh yeah, the police just kind of assumed that the brown guy blew himself up. I, I think that's gotta be like deliberate because I feel, it, yeah. it's like because it's framed in the same way as like him talking about how he assumes that Julius and Carter are terrorists and that Sadie yeah, is innocent. So I think like it's definitely intentional. Um but it's also a little bit of the like like what would Percy? Okay, sorry. I I want this to be like legible to people who haven't read Percy Jackson or maybe just starting here. But listen, uh, if they're gonna put by the creator of Percy Jackson on the cover, we're gonna compare it to Percy Jackson. They invited this. Very fair. <laughs> um, but like, it it's kind of like, hey, what would Percy's life be like? A kid who is constantly getting in situations where he is like around like exploding schools and like the mist makes it look like he's the one always doing that shit what would that be like if he wasn't like a little white kid that's true although although percy is also constantly hunted i was gonna yeah that's i'm not sure that really works as a comparison because percy is like he's like the subject of a nationwide manhunt in the first book (laughs) and there are like that's very true tv specials about how much he sucks yeah it's 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 like it's like talking about two different things right it's like media sensationalism in one and like uh like and like racism in the other i i probably like they wouldn't have had carter's grandparents on to have an interview about him or something that's probably true it's weird the the way i was expecting the grandparents to be more prominent here yeah but we, we barely see them yeah which i'm not against yeah, and it's, like, a little bit weird. Maybe this is just because of my assumptions of how things would go. Because, like, I I didn't assume they would be as, like... I, I thought they would just, like, throw Carter under the bus. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I mean, I guess we, like, didn't, we didn't see that scene. We don't know if they did that. They might have, but also they're kind of defending him a little bit. Uh, like, when the inspector is, like, That's we're going to lock them up or whatever. Yeah. Maybe that's mainly for Sadie's benefit, but it could also be like, well, even if they're racist old assholes, they still are like, well, he's our grandchild, you know? I guess the thing with the grandparents is they're just kind of like, that's where Sadie lives when the story starts, and then we're going to move to wherever Uncle Amos is. Yeah. I'm curious 
about this? Uh, what do you think of this Amos character? Uh, I can only picture him as Amos from The Expanse. I, I don't know who this is, so I'm looking him up. He is just like this giant sociopath with a shotgun, basically. Okay. Uh, the third, uh, Amos Burton TV, The Expanse Wiki. Uh, Amos Burton books, The Expanse Wiki. Uh, third result for Amos The Expanse. Is Amos neurodiver- neurodivergent? Uh, yes. Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, but he's also... Uh, he he he's a a big mean dude. What shoot gun? He he had an extremely rough upbringing, and a lot of his stuff in the show is like trying to deal with like the horrible instincts that are left over from that and become a better person. Gotcha. Yeah. No. I I he's like I'm very much not sure how to picture him. Like he's described. Like mm. he gets a like he gets a description, and like so I know how to picture him. But he's like a very like weird. Like he's kind of mysterious, but he's also not mysterious. I, I'm wondering if he's gonna be the type of character to be like, like, hey, your dad didn't do as great as he could have. I'm your uncle. I want to watch over you because you're family, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's he's got a trench coat on, the hallmark of any mysterious character. Yeah, but then he takes the trench coat off when they learn that he's their uncle. So I guess the mis- the mystery has been revealed. Yeah, it's. It's it's funny. I don't I don't begrudge the book for this in any way. Uh, by chapter four of Percy Jackson, we were in like at the gates of Camp Half Blood. I think. Yeah. Uh, maybe that was chapter three. I'm not sure. No, yeah, um, end of chapter four is when they like cross the boundary. Yeah, and and in this, the the big reveal at the end is of uh, is like I'm your uncle, and like that's I guess that's a pretty big reveal, but like okay. Kinda I. I wouldn't say there's a lot of impact to it. He's just appeared once and both kids thought he was a bit familiar. Yeah, like, it's not super, like, whoa, shocking twist, because we're four chapters into the book. Nothing is a shocking twist. I'm still learning what the story's about. Yeah. But, I don't know. I, 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 it's, it's interesting to compare the ways, uh, that these, that these sections end. Yeah, like to be clear, we're gonna we're not just looking at these through the lens of oh, what are these compared to Percy Jackson? But it is gonna come up a lot, and that's kind of unavoidable. Yeah, and we'll try to restrict it. You know, this I, like I said before, we want this to be legible to people who are like are like uh-huh. I read the Kane Chronicles. Are there any podcasts about it? That kind of thing. Hmm. Um. Okay, I. Uh huh. <laughs> I picked out a specific line, which I yeah. I have a theory about. Okay. So, Mom was an anthropologist looking for ancient DNA. Yeah. Now, I am going to take a fucking shot in the dark here and say Uh that Julia says that he he has the power of the great kings. Uh Uh-huh. So, my my theory is that he is, like, descended from, like, a, a line of Egyptian royalty. Ooh. And therefore, the ancient DNA that she ended up finding was his. That's. I don't think she was saying. No, I don't think. No, I don't. I, don't I think it's th- like a weird double entendre. I don't think that's right. <laughs> I don't think that he shot his ancient DNA inside her. I mean, he he did. He canonically did. That's where Carter and Sadie would... came from. God. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we don't know that yet. There's all kinds of parent bullfuckery in the series. In these series, is. Minotaur never did that. Shut up! Shut up! <laughs> you can't say that. You can't you said say bull that. Fuckery. It's like it's like bullshittery, but different. I see. I see. I g- listen. I, I you can have your own fan fictions about what happened, like with Percy's mom and the Minotaur. <laughs> but for now, let's get back to the topic at hand and. We, how did we do this so quickly? I, uh, well, we. I thought this would be a pure innocent episode. Uh, <laughs> I listen. I I don't know what you expected. I the only reason I was singing the the camel by camel at the start of this was because I'd already asked you to make it the intro music and you refused. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm not gonna put the meme Egyptian music on here. <laughs> Uh, should we talk about the British Museum? Sure, yeah. I There's a really weird exchange right at the start of this chapter. This is uh-huh. mostly chapter two. Yeah. Where 
Sadie says, like, who's Imhotep? And Carter explains who Imhotep is. Uh-huh. And then Sadie's like, I don't care. Shut up. That's like 12-year-old stuff, though. I, it's kind I, <laughs> it kind of feels like Rick's trying to have his exposition cake and eat it, too. Oh, sure, sure, sure. I don't know, it like, just, it stuck out to me as kind of weird. Like, why would she say who's Imhotep in the first place? Yeah, if she didn't care, why would she bring it up? I guess maybe you could read it as, like, Carter over-explaining or whatever. I don't, I feel, I feel like it needed to have, like, a, um, something that was, I don't know, some kind of indication that that's what it was. Just, like, uh-huh. a little line, and it wouldn't have felt as weird. Like, if she just, like, because the specific line is, like, Imho-who, Sadie Matter to me. Yeah. And, like, like, I think you could read that two different ways. The one of which that I'm assuming it kind of was meant to be is, like, her muttering it to him, but, like, not expecting him to be, like, oh, uh, push, pushes my glasses up. <laughs> Imhotep was actually the, 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 you know? Yeah, no, I can see that. Uh, But, yeah, I, I get what you mean. If it, like, it's one of those, like, slightly awkward exchanges mm-hmm. yeah oh and this opening also has another example of the curator being like oh, who is this young lady next to your son yeah it's all of them just being like fucking hell yeah uh yeah the british museum do you have any big points about the british museum here i i feel like we skipped over something that would have been very funny to have dived into that? more which is uh, how the Rosetta Stone got found. Oh, yeah? Because I feel like there's there's a missing step between, like, oh, Napoleon's army unearthed it in Egypt, and it ended up in the British Museum. Yeah. And I know that, like, you know, we're going for, like, a very rushed tone here. We're trying to, like, keep things brisk. Right. But also I feel like you can't not mention that Napoleon's Egyptian campaign was such a legendary fucking farce. Oh. That the reason the Rosetta Stone ended up in the British Museum was because, like, his army and fleet got destroyed because he was there for no reason with no support. That's so, he, so fucking funny. He ran away, and then the rest of his troops had to surrender, and that's how the Rosetta Stone ended up in a British Museum and not a French one. That's so much. Like, I knew that <laughs> I knew about like, oh, Napoleon had a disastrous Egyptian campaign, but like, I didn't know that specifics of it like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, what I assumed you meant, and which I'm still curious about, is like, how much is this series going to reckon with the history of like, uh, what's the fucking word? Like imperialism and like war crimes. So many war crimes. War crimes, but more specifically, like the theft of yeah. like ancient, like of like the cultures of ancient people and like ancient, like like various things. Like, how much are we gonna reckon with like just like that stuff? I wonder. I, I'm not sure because, like, because like their dad is an Egyptologist, whose job is finding these artifacts and then cataloging them and then sending them to museums. Is it his job? Well, I mean, I would assume so. That's that's what you go to dig sites to dig for. I always assumed his thing was writing books and being a professor and talking about Egypt. I guess he also studies like artifacts and stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, they let him into the museum, so he must have something to do with them. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I assume that was, like... To me, when I hear that, I think, like, archaeologist, which I guess some Egyptologists can be. Mm-hmm. I, I assumed Egyptologist was just archaeologist who works in Egypt. No, no, an Egyptologist is someone... I mean, who just, like, is, like, a general term for someone who studies ancient Egypt. Oh, uh, okay. You don't have to... I mean, you probably should, but you don't have to go to Egypt to do that. Like, you... Just, it, like, it would help. Yeah, for sure. Like, peop- like that's why like his main thing is writing books about like the culture and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Uh, is is what's described in the pages of like he writes books about like how did they do mummies? How did they get the brains out? What was it up? What was up with this pharaoh? Top ten curses yeah. to destroy your enemies. Yeah. How were the pyramids made? It's it's very much like an academic approach. Like mm-hmm. probably also like entangled in some of that like probably. history. But like not the literal like I am going to steal things. I mean one of the first things that 
Julius does is deface an ancient relic. Yeah, but that's different. <laughs> I is it? Yeah, it's different. He it's scratches fine. a bunch of shit onto the Rosetta Stone and then unleashes a demon <laughs> from it. <laughs> it's really fucking funny. Uh, I, I'm curious. What, what's your take on this whole whole like scene? Because this uh, is like the big action piece of the beginning. This is the big action piece. I feel like there's not a whole lot to it. It's mostly just like Julius trying to hold the thing's attention while his kids get away. Yeah. Uh, I I do I do want to show you um, that now is the time to deploy this. The, the British cover of the Red Pyramid. Oh, God. Because it does have a picture of this character on it. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, here we go. Just send that. <laughs> what? It is... I didn't know when I had it good with the Percy Jackson covers. This is I... horrendous. I think it's... Okay, here's what I like here. Uh-huh. Uh... I, I think that's Carter. Uh, I, think I like so. that Carter is just like normal kid. He looks like stock image. He, yeah, kind of. <laughs> I, I, I think, I don't know. He looks like such a fucking nerd. And like, it, this is such a generic cover. It really okay, is. Let's, let's discuss the cover, the other covers, because this is, this is an important thing that we always need to do. Yeah. We need, we need to, we need to fully take advantage of the fact that, one of us is British and the other one is Americanese. Uh, and of course, Jane will, Jane will remember to post all these on the Twitter. Definitely. 100%. Uh, I usually see. do. So, I, I, I've posted the stuff for the movie, I think. That's probably true. So the one that I had when I was a kid was uh, this one. This is uh, uh, for anyone uh, not... Uh, what's up? This is way better. What the fuck? Yeah, it's a lot better. <laughs> it's uh, Carter and Sadie standing with their backs to the viewer. Uh, Carter is holding some kind of like really cool Egyptian-y weapon. Yeah. Um, they're they're like entangled in the coils of a huge snake. They're like looking up at a like a pyramid is in the background, just like entirely taking up the screen. But like in front of it is like a big like Egyptian some building of some sort I, at a glance I, i'm assuming that this is like um amos's mansion in brooklyn because we've got like the water tower right next to it as well very well could be it uh and i i do like this cover a lot i like it's like the colors of it and stuff yeah it's, it's a much, lot more it's yeah. much better than like a cgi dog with a spear yeah trying to like stab vaguely to the left of a stock image of a boy with a sword that has been just like pasted over the title like the sword covers the title uh-huh <laughs> like this looks yeah. like it was made in about the same amount of time it took for me to make the new logo <laughs> which was uh for for viewers five minutes yeah five ten minutes uh there's also let me see there's a, there's a couple other covers i think there's uh this i don't know what this is from i guess this is maybe the newest release oh i like this is very like comic book very comic book i like i like that we've just got grover's head mounted on the bridge Psst, yeah <laughs> it's a little, little goat little goat little goat there's there's also still a red pyramid in the background here we got carter and sadie there yeah uh there's let includes me a bonus see. short story, the son of Sobek, the god of semen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what? Uh, I guess so. Is that right? Is he yeah. the god of? No. Oh wait. He, he's he has like a crocodile head, and he's the lord of sperm. Oh, it's Sobek. You're right. I forgot about Sobek. Yeah. Yeah. Hail no, Sobek. I mean, huh? Hail Sobek. Yeah. Why do you always say that? <laughs> from a fucking H-Bomber guy video from like three years ago or something. Oh god, is that why you're always saying that? Like every time the Crane Chronicles <laughs> comes up? I that I believe that is the first time I've ever said that actually. No, you, you did say it the last time we talked about the Crane Chronicles. D did I really? Yeah. I genuinely don't know if you're fucking with me. I don't remember this. No, you've said this before for sure. <laughs> I was just like, 
are you doing like a weird like like you've heard the name Sobek before, so you're gonna say it because you think that's like I, I wasn't sure what you're doing. Well, I'm glad we've wrapped up that mystery from however the fuck long ago it was that I originally said that. Yeah, I let's 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 get back from the covers. They're they're fine. Yours sucks. The 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 British one, as always, is fucking terrible. Yeah. Uh, what else to talk about here? There's a, there's a lot in this book. Uh, weird weird moment. Uh-huh. Uh Giant CGI dog man. Uh, he calls Julius Osiris. Yeah, that's interesting because uh, it looks like Julius is trying to like summon Osiris, uh, the god of the dead. Yeah. For like, that that's literally what he he defaces onto the ancient relic yeah and it's like well we probably can guess why he's doing that mm-hmm. um which is my assumption is that he's doing it to try and bring his wife back oh or i guess we can't assume it <laughs> <laughs> never mind oh that would explain why he was like oh this will make it right as well that's that's my guess yeah that makes sense um, coming back, she can I, get more of that ancient DNA. God, okay, <laughs> um, but but yeah, it seems like he he let five five mysterious beings out instead. One of whom wants to rec- wants to become king again. He, what do you think's up with this? Uh, fuck if I know. I it's th- fair. this seems like one of those things where we're just gonna have to get the context later. There's not a lot you can really glean from this exchange. True. I think I know what's happening, uh, just from like my understanding of uh-huh. like Egyptian myths. But okay. I'm I'm cu- I'm curious to see where it goes, and Definitely. I'll I'll leave it as a mystery for now. Uh, yeah, I I do like uh I I guess I'll just continue to say the fiery man. I like the fiery man's like a like the way that is like talked about like oh there is like a like a basically normal human face. Uh, like s- with a animal face, like a fucked up animal that like can't really be pinned down, and they're both like superimposed over each other. I I, I dig that. Yeah, it's a shame I can only picture it as the CGI dog man. God, Jane, <laughs> you're a poor creature. <laughs> oh, one one thing we haven't talked about that we should we should talk about is that uh, this perspectives shift in these chapters. Yeah, we. From chapter one to two are from Carter's perspective, and then three and four from Sadie's. Yeah. Which is... One of the weird symptoms of this is that despite Carter being the POV character for, like, the first two chapters, we only actually get a physical description of him in, like, chapter three or four. Chapter four, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Which... Like... I feel like, to go back to the framing device thing... It feels like it's introducing so many like weird little weaknesses and things that have to be worked around. Mm. And I'm interested to see if like that way of telling the story justifies itself at some point. Right. Yeah, no, it's it's curious. Like, is this just like a clever little idea that Rick had, or he's like, wouldn't it be interesting if this was the way that the book was framed? Or is this gonna like re- go on? Because I think it's like it's a conscious effort to distance it from Percy Jackson, which was like Percy is telling you the story and it's kind of ambiguous, but like the implication seems to be that these are like his diaries written post adventure. Something like that. So like we're we're moving to like a different way of telling the story. Yeah. The problem with it is that like it's very explicit when this is happening. Which is why it then feels weird when like Sadie is talking about, oh the the needles of ice being worked down my back. I like the fact yeah. that they can remember events in such like specific detail. I think there is like some interesting potential here to this framing device, but I do think like you're right because it gets kind of clunky when it's like, oh well, you know. Actually, I think I know what this is. Okay. Um, on on some level, I think that this is an attempt to justify having like two different narrators. That's true. I don't. I don't know. I think that maybe there is something. This is my guess. This is my speculation. Uh-huh. Maybe there was something in in Rick's mind that was like, "Well, I want to have you know Carter and Sadie both having their perspectives, but I don't want to just do that without any reason, like <laughs> without any like build up for it. I don't want to just have it so that like one chapter 
Carter is speaking and the next one Sadie is speaking. So maybe I need to like make a thing so they can pass off the recorder to each other. I just, I want to grab him by the shoulders and just shake him and say that Rick, you can just change perspectives in each chapter. You're allowed. He is allowed. We, we, we had the fucking interminable dream sequences last series. And now we have to have like the characters physically each telling a different side of the story. Yeah, and I, I again I don't super mind it, but I I'm I'm just like wondering because the way that this starts off, I didn't put this in the summary because it wasn't so immediately relevant, was that Carter is like, Listen, I need you to go to the school, open the locker, you'll know the one, and put in this combination. Use what's inside, but don't actually like use it. Learn from it and then give it away. Don't let yourself fall into like the temptation of having all the power in the world. Yeah, that bit's really fucking weird. Yeah. Because that's like, like, again, to go back to Percy Jackson, those books start with like the implication that like Percy's like, oh, if you're reading this, you're probably a demigod. Uh-huh. But this is like a a direct, explicit call to action for the reader. Like it's much yeah. more interactive in that way. Yeah. Which I think is, uh, is I think that's like, there's something appealing about that. There's definitely something appealing to, about that, like, just for a kid audience. I, I wonder yeah. if that's going to, like, translate into anything else or if that's just, like, what we get at the start. It, it must, right? There must be a reason he says that. Surely mm-hmm. that's what this is building up to. Yeah, because I, I, it, I it seems kind of weird to me that this book would end with, like, whatever this dangerous thing is just being out there. Right, right. I mean, I mean, there are three books in the series, so I guess, you know. That's true. Who knows where this is going? I, I, I mean, certainly you. don't. I mean, I don't. I don't remember it that well. Oh, okay. I remember bits and pieces. I remember, like, characters. I, I kind of remember, like, some of where they go, um, some of the events, some of the, like, battles and stuff. Do they go to a That's... red pyramid? Maybe. Probably. I was, It's on the all three of the covers we looked at, so I would hope so. Yeah. Um... So, yeah, uh, we get, um, I don't know. Oh, there's a moment hmm. I really like in this chapter, actually. What's that? Because I, I like the moment where um, the inspector tells Sadie to sit down, and she just doesn't. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Because she, she can, like, see that standing is making him uncomfortable. So it, it's not it's not just a case of, like, being, like, a snotty, defiant kid. Like, she observes the situation, looks at how he's acting, and then decides to make, like, a power play. Yeah. Which I think that's really good characterization. I like that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Like, for all of this uh, opening's faults, and it does have some, it does that, you're, you're right, it's mm-hmm. not perfect, it's, it's pretty messy. Um, it, it's doing a good job of establishing these two characters, Definitely. like, pretty quickly. Yeah, like, we... You know, we, we've we got, like, I would say a very good, like, surface-level grasp of them. Definitely. Which is, like, exactly like, what we need to then start building on them later. Yeah, exactly. I really like how the mind control is portrayed. Oh, yeah? I think, like, it's a really interesting way of doing it, where it's not like you, like, enslave his brain or something. No. But what happens is the inspector is just, like, influenced to, like, come to a conclusion without reasoning his way towards it. Yeah, like yeah. He knows that this is what he thinks now, but if you give him a couple of hours, he's going to like think, wait, what the he- why the hell do I think this? Right, exactly. Right? I think that's, that's just, fascinating. Yeah, it's a really cool way of doing it. I like it a lot. Yeah, no, like like we said early on, I really am enjoying like the magic stuff. I think mm-hmm. um, just like the idea of like writing the word boat on the door and then you open the door and there's a boat behind it. I think that boat. rules. What? Boat. I was just saying the word boat. It's a fun word. Boat. 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 Anyway, yeah, I'm excited for this read boat. Uh, Oh, fuck. You know what I can bring back? What? I can bring back my fucking misguided attempting to use my, like, terrible physics education to work out just how badly the boat is breaking the laws of physics. Oh, shit. Because we did that for, like, I did that for, like, the Princess Andromeda. (laughs) That's right. Because it was that's like right. breaking the sound barrier or something. Yeah, <laughs> and like the the this reed boat is supposed to get from what's the fucking river? The Thames. The Thames. 
Oh, the Thames. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> There's, we've gotten our Saint Louis. We've gotten our San Louis. We've gotten our Thames. <laughs> We're even now, I guess. I guess so. <laughs> uh, the the Thames. The Thames. The Thames. I could be lying to you. <laughs> You're not lying to me. I've heard this before. I think. Yeah, no, it's I, it's the Thames. I, there is a detail about this. What's that? Oh, which is this is like this is like seeding of information that I actually think is quite effective. Uh huh. As opposed to some of the other stuff, which was quite frustrating. Which is like Amos saying, like, "Oh, you you were saying that all the uh, superstition stuff is bullshit, but you still got yourself a house on the east side of the river." Yeah. And like, what the fuck do you mean by that? Yeah. What does I, that mean? Tell me more, please. I'm fascinated. Yeah. Like I like it's one of those things where it's like you can kind of like work out like oh rivers Egypt sides of rivers flooding yeah probably but something like, to do with the Nile yeah um but it's like that's it's like a it's like what the fuck kind of line is that to draw that kind of rules that's yeah I I can't quite put my finger on what it is but I find that li- that like a lot less frustrating than stuff than just like two random people who we don't know flash in a, like, a spark of lightning or something and appear for a second and disappear. Oh, sure, sure, sure. And, uh, they, I mean, they appear again in the next chapter. Uh, yeah. And then also disappear again? Yep. I guess we just know that they're around. Yeah. Uh, one of them uh, has a fucked up knife and almost kills Carter. Yeah. And the other guy is French. <laughs> Sad. They're here to get the Rosetta Stone back. <laughs> oh, God. I'm... I don't know. I think it's interesting. I'm curious about, like, what the series portrayal of, like, various gods will be. Yeah, because, like... I, I feel like there's... The the, the way that, they, that the Greek gods were portrayed in Percy Jackson, what was basically done there was just, like... Rick toned it down a bit but more or less kept their original characterization from mythology which is mm-hmm. they're a bunch of jackasses yeah but I, I don't know like I don't know how he's going to be able to do that with someone like Osiris who like his origin story is his dick getting cut off yeah that's the thing <laughs> right is that like Egyptian mythology is very like I mean okay I guess Let's think about that for a moment because Greek mythology is incredibly like sex obsessed. That's but that's because fuck, hang on, I need to find Are you like is this a what is this? What are you doing? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh this is um this is a meme about Zeus uh putting his dick in places. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, as I was saying, uh Greek mythology also very sex obsessed. Uh, Egyptian mythology, like, in a lot of ways, there's just a lot of, like, humor and, like, jokiness, but also a lot of dick jokes. <laughs> and, like, and like not all, like, always dick jokes, but a lot of dick jokes. Uh-huh. Like, you can go into, like, you can read fucking hieroglyphics and see that people were just writing dick jokes at each other a lot of the time. Well, that's, like, uh, that's, like, most, like, inscriptions you find, right? You can find, like, Viking ones that are just, like, Harald was here or something. Yeah, definitely. But like, and that does end up inter- like intertwining in like what survives of the mythology, mm-hmm. like because people like took it seriously, but also like had some humor with it. Um, yeah. But also, I think what's interesting is that the Egyptian gods don't have the same cultural like standing that the Greek gods do. Definitely not. No. Like, there's no Disney movies. There's no like. I don't know. There's there's not a popular understanding of them the same way. Like you can you can say Sekhmet, you can say Wajet, you can say like like uh, Anubis, and people people will know these like names probably, but like they won't know shit about them. You know what? I think probably like the closest equivalent to that kind of stuff that exists in like modern pop culture is what's that? Which, which probably speaks to how like fucked our understanding of it is going into this. Uh huh. Yu-Gi-Oh. I mean, yeah, that's true. Is that <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh is a very popular source of people getting it, being like, "Wow, there's." First of all, I was gonna say Slifer the Sky Dragon, but that's not a that's a guy. That's just a guy that that's worked just on the a show. Dude. 
Uh, the Red Dragon uh, of Osiris, I think, was the original. Yeah, the name. Red Dragon of Osiris, uh, the Winged Dragon of Ra, and Obelisk the Tormentor. Obelisk, also not a god. Uh, just just, just a, a fucking rock. Yeah, uh, but Osiris and Ra. Also, Osiris. Uh, okay, this is Jacqueline's mythology corner. Sorry, I had to do it. Um, because, uh, like I said, uh, Egyptian mythology a lot less known, so I sometimes yeah. I want to chime in with like stuff. Definitely. Osiris. Uh, now, Jane, what do you think about the name Osiris? Um, sounds cool. Sounds pretty cool. Agreed. Uh, it also sounds kind of Greek. Oh wait, yeah, no, I remember. Um, you talked about it the last time we did like a big mythology corner of like Dionysus. Yeah. Which is like. D- Zagreus related to Dionysus. Zagreus related to Osiris? Question mark. Yeah. So the thing is that, like, um, by the time, like, very late period ancient Egypt, um, like they've like things are happening with like Greece and uh, like Rome and stuff, um, and gods are just getting fucking mishmashed all over the place. Yes. Like. <laughs> This is, like, the way that, like, Anubis is the Greek name. Uh-huh. Uh, and, like, things like that. Um, but Osiris is the god of the dead. Um, uh, also the god of fertility. <laughs> and what's up? Nothing. I'm just thinking, like, this whole thing is complicated further by the fact that, like, in this series, canonically, there must have been a point where, like, Zeus was chilling in Egypt. <laughs> Like the, the the Greek gods were chilling with the Egyptian gods at some point. Yeah, honestly, that's definitely true. <laughs> I I really like that. Like, if because we know that these series cross over at some point, mm-hmm. so I I hope we get some of that interplay. Yeah, definitely. Like people just straight up like called Apollo Horus in Egypt is like a thing that happened. Yeah, that's uh, like the thing that's like. Because, like, the, the kind of rules that we get established about the Greek gods at the end of at the end of Percy Jackson are, like, that a lot of their image counts on what people believe about them. Yeah. So, like, when they go and fuck around with the Egyptian gods when the Greeks are over there, like, is that is that where, like, all this crossover comes from? I guess so. It's a good, I guess so. I mean, like, historically, yes. Yeah, no, I'm just, I just mean, like, but like in, no, in terms yeah, of, in like, the, the series... Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, Osiris, an interesting little figure. Um, we'll probably learn more about him, I'm guessing. An interesting little figure without an interesting little figure. What? He doesn't have a dick. Oh, oh okay, I see. That's pretty much like um, the one thing I know about Egyptian mythology. <laughs> there's a lot, yeah, there's there's a lot of dick cutting and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, wait, is he the one whose dick got cut off? It, he it didn't get cut off per se. He got like cut into different pieces by Anubis, I think, and then Isis stuck him back together, and then realized that he was missing a bit. Uh, Set. Yeah. Yeah, or Seth, if you like, or or Sutek, or Seth Rogen. A few different things. Uh, but yeah, that's that's all I had to say. Fair enough. I do we have anything else to say about these chapters? Uh, I want to say that. I'm looking forward to where the series goes. Yeah, definitely. This is this is a messy start, but it's not without potential. Definitely, no. Like none of we've we've had books with messy starts so far that were you know we we were fucking blah. I love this book by the end. Yeah, the, I mean that's I I put the boot as Titan's curse pretty hard at the start, and uh-huh. that that exact thing that you described happened. Definitely. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I think that'll do it for us today. I think so. Oh, uh, are we going to continue with our segment? I I, I don't feel... know if we can continue just yet with our segment. Yeah, we don't really have enough characters, and we don't know enough about them. Yeah. So we're hitting a two-week uh, two gap in this segment, because we fucked up and forgot to do it last week as well. <laughs> <laughs> we were going to... Listen, by the time we're fucking done with this entire project... We'll 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 wrap back around to it, and also <laughs> probably in the Heroes of Olympus, if we're being honest. Yeah, definitely. And also probably in this series, if we're being honest. Yeah, I, listen, it's it's one of the more fun things to do is to just like throw a dart at the board, hit a character, and then try to explain it. Points at Sadie. You have blue hair and pronouns. 
Okay, to be fair, Sadie's whole deal is like she's wearing like raggy, raggedy clothes, combat boots, and hair dye. I feel like that's. If that's not queer coding, I don't know what is. So true. Yeah, I guess that'll be it for us today. Yeah. If you'd like to reach the show, you can check us on Twitter, twitter.com slash unwisegirls, where you can find links to our email, Discord server, and our Patreon, patreon.com slash unwisegirls. For $1 a month, you get a special role in our Discord server of... Maybe we need to change these around, but for now... Oh, yeah. Uh, Camp Counselor is $1 a month. Uh, for $3 a month, you get the special role of Friend of Dionysus, and also all of our bonus content. Uh, we talk about things like... Uh, horror movies, Doctor Who lore that makes me upset, uh, <laughs> and you know various very Homestuck, a lot of Homestuck. Uh, for five dollars a month, run you a get... Travis McElroy Doctor Who fan cast. Oh God! <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! That's that's the lore from last episode that got me upset. It's horrible. Uh, for five dollars a month, you get the special role in our Discord server of. Aphrodite's Chosen, all of our bonus content, and a special thank you at the end of episodes. Speaking of which... Uh, this week we'd like to thank Mercy, Veronica, Friend, and Erica. I think you usually say speaking of which. I'm sorry for taking that from you. Yeah, I, I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know if you were just going to try and launch into it. It threw me off my game. I, I'm taking your job from you. <laughs> After your fucking little stunt at the beginning. <laughs> Uh, on probation but thank you everyone another way you can support the show is by leaving us a rating review five stars uh telling uh, telling your friends about us it all helps yeah but for now as we always say at the end of every single episode wait should we say something else now well like the thing is that we've been saying you've been saying as we say at the end of every single episode for like 30 episodes now 36 or so yeah so like if we stop saying it now then we're no longer saying it at the end of every single episode fuck we, we've really painted ourselves into a corner here see uh i feel like um, we might just have to like stick with it for now until we have like a more consistent setting for these books see you at the british museum i <laughs> see you next week camp half blood see you next week camp half blood Say bye. 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 Why didn't you just say bye instead of telling me to do it? I don't know. I got embarrassed because usually we say, see you next week, Camp Half-Blood, in a different order. And so I was like, well, we have to restore the order. Switching series has fucked us up. Yeah. We should just go back and reread Percy Jackson. (laughs) A Percy Jackson re-re-read podcast. (laughs) Run. No. You're going to fight Kronos. And you're gonna win! Gosh, no, shut up.